beginning in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds were with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they had heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. There's a number of strange people I've, I've met in this life, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm counted among them by many people. Um, but uh, strange people are interesting. And... Uh, they're people that, that we want to hear more about. Um, in fact, I think that's why Robert Louis Stevenson wrote his, his short novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Miss, Mr. Hyde in the late 1800s. Um, around the time when this, this church building was being uh, built, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson spoke of a strange case of a man who seemed to have a split personality disorder. And you figure this out over, over the case of the book that uh, this, this strange man can't really decide who he is. And one moment he's one way and the next moment he's the next. And um, of course, we can resonate with this. We've met people that are like this and they very much intrigue us. And here in the book of Acts, we encounter someone much like that. But he's, he's no story. This is no novel. This is real life. There was a man named Simon Magus. That's how he's referred to by the early church fathers. Simon the Great. Simon the Magician. Simon Magus. And he is a strange case indeed. But I want you to notice this. We're going to talk. 
We're going to hear the Lord uh, show us something through this man. And it's not just an interesting case of, of a gentleman. And we say, well, is he a believer or isn't he? You know, is he a magician or isn't he? What do, what do we make of him? He's not just someone to whet our appetite with an intriguing story. He's here because God wants to tell you something about yourself. God wants to show you something about yourself through the strange case of Mr. Simon. And as we turn and look at Simon Magus, what we're going to see is he's not that strange after all. In fact, the problem that we find with Simon the magician is the very problem that everyone wrestles with in their sin. It's the problem of grasping for glory, the problem of grasping for greatness. When the gospel calls us to receive the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's look at Simon the man. And then, and then we, we need to consider uh, the sin that is actually named after him. The sin of simony. So Simon the man. You can almost picture in this passage, can't you? Um, what's happening. And, and, and as we see this, I want to treat you to a little background. We really need to understand what's happening before we dive in and understand who Simon is. Um, what is happening in the book of Acts? Well, first, the gospel has reached stage number two in its outward expansion. You look back at Acts chapter one, verse eight, and what do we hear? Jesus told his disciples before he ascended to the, the heavenly throne. He said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Three stages. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Acts is following that basic outline. We've made it to stage two in the book of Acts, where now the gospel is so full in Jerusalem that it's starting to spill outward. And persecution is fueling this. Um, the, the gospel is bursting at the seams in Jerusalem and it's popping out to the north and to the south, Samaria in the north and, Ju- and Judea in the south. And as the gospel goes forth to Samaria, what do we see? Well, people start to believe. The Samaritans, a large number of Samaritans actually believe the gospel. Now, here's why that, that's just crazy. That's, that's, that's amazing. It's this, that the Jews who came proclaiming the gospel to the Samaritans were considered their moral enemies. The Samaritans and the Jews did never got along. Um, the Jews looked on the Samaritans as, as half-breeds uh, who, who, who had a copycat religion. And the Samaritans looked on the Jews as, as a problem people that had resisted God and, 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 and you know, had basically they'd been kicked out by them. And so here you have uh, the Samaritans and the Jews, um, and the gospel is carried forward by Jewish evangelists, and they come to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans believe. It's amazing. The gospel going forth, the unstoppable gospel. And I think that actually explains why we have this strange situation in which you have the Samaritans um, receiving and believing in Jesus and being baptized, but not receiving the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? And some, some theologians will make a big deal about this and create doctrines of, of, a, sec, of a, you know, a second work of the Holy Spirit. But what you need to understand is it's, what's happening is simply this. God is showing the Samaritans that they cannot 
have the church apart from embracing its Jewish roots and its apostolic roots. You know, the Samaritans who were were famous for creating a a copycat religion, a second temple, a second Messiah, a second um, off-brand offshoot from Judaism. God right off the bat is saying, no, you are one with the people of God. You come to one savior, you receive one baptism and you receive the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Jews and Gentiles alike, and and Samaritans, coming and receiving the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amazing what's happening. And it's in this context where tons and tons of Samaritans are believing and being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit that we hear of Simon the Magician. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, prepare to meet Simon. You know, he's, you, you can picture the, the kind of show that this would be, right? A magic show. And here would be Simon and he would be doing his tricks. And um, twice he's called amazing. Twice he's called great. And he, he, he comes to people and he says, I am something great. You need to pay attention to what I'm doing. But what we see is that Simon is no trickster. He's not a conjurer of, of, of cheap tricks. He's... Um, What he is, is he is a sorcerer. He's a magician. And what he is doing is by the work of Satan. How else could he hold an entire region in in a trance under his his powers and his, uh, his abilities? The entire region of Samaria, this passage says, it says that it is under a trance, as it were, it, it, it's gripped, and everyone just, did you see what Simon did today? He's amazing. Did you see his charms? Did you see his incantations? Did you see what the sorcerer did today? Everyone amazed by Simon. But suddenly, the gospel message breaks into Samaria, and the Holy Spirit breaks that magic spell that's holding the people under Simon's grasp. And they start to turn to Jesus for new life. Away from magic arts to the Savior. Away from sorcery to Jesus. And away from, uh, from trying to control their lives through magic incantations to a humble submission to Jesus as the Lord and the Christ. Have you figured out yet that the gospel is that powerful? Have you figured out yet that the gospel changes lives? The gospel can change your life. The gospel can change uh, this city. The gospel can take a trance that's, that's over the city of Dayton and just break right through that. That's the kind of word that, that we believe. And that's the kind of confidence that the gospel gives us. It did it in Samaria, a region much larger uh, than, than the city of Dayton. So Simon sees the power of Jesus pulling his audience away. But he's not angry. What does our passage say? He's not angry. He's amazed. He's impressed. Simon says, whoa, I've never seen anything like that before. I I thought I was powerful. That's power. Whoa. And Simon, verse 13, believes, it says, and is baptized. So far and so good. What happens next? Simon starts 
following Peter wherever he goes. Now, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Wherever Peter is, Simon's kind of trailing him like a puppy or like, like, like Simon's like a rock star, or like Peter, uh, Philip rather, is like a rock, a rock star. And um, Simon just follows him wherever he goes. And he's, wow, wow, look at what Philip's doing. Wow, that guy's amazing. Simon following Philip around like the crowds used to follow him. So something strange is happening. And then Simon must have been around when the apostles uh, came and laid hands on the Samaritans who had believed and granted them to become part of the one people of God by receiving the one Holy Spirit. And he sees them lay their hands on these people. And the people must have responded with visible demonstration of the Spirit. And it's at that very moment that Simon just can't hold it in anymore. And he starts uh, speaking and he says, give me this power. Give me this ability to touch people and give them the Holy Spirit. You see, we've seen the true Simon now, haven't we? We've seen what he was kind of hiding beneath the surface. We've seen the Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. And it's this, that Simon beneath the surface is really a power junkie. Simon is addicted to power. He is uh, glory and control is his narcotic. It's the thing that he's got to have. Simon stays up at night dreaming of who he would be if he only had more power. Glory is what he's after. And he'll do anything to have it. He'll, he'll do anything to have uh, control over, uh, over the people around him and over his circumstances. Um, he'll, he'll even empty his bank account for power. Did you see that in verse 18? He says, he offered them money. You ever thought about why, why people love to have money? It's not about, it's not about the dollar bills. It's about the control that, that that money gives you, how you can control your circumstances and, and sometimes uh, catch, in many cases, catch the glances of people and, 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 and be esteemed as, as a rich person in their eyes. That's what Simon wants. His money means nothing if he can't have, use it to, to have power. And so Peter exposes Simon right away for who he is. Look at what he says in verses 20 through 21. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether Simon is really a believer. I think what Peter says settles the case. And you can judge for yourself, uh, but look at verse 19. Peter said to him in verse 20, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Verse 21, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This is strong language. This is language that we don't see in other places in Scripture used to describe true believers. What we see here from the scriptures is that Simon uh, is, is a phony follower. That it, he looks good at, at first glance. 
you know, he's, he's following the church. He's, he's going through all the motions. But really, when it comes down to it, uh, he's only after the gospel because of the power it will give him. He's only after Jesus because Jesus is like a, a genie in a bottle who could give him what he's lacking. He doesn't come to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He comes to him because Jesus can, can offer him a kind of magic. You see, he's still the old Simon. He's still in the bond of iniquity, you know, locked in, in, in the prison of his old former self. And Peter exposes that. Peter says, Simon, you have no part in this until you repent. May your silver and your gold perish with you. You can't buy the power of the gospel. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. He's not for sale. Now we can laugh at Simon. Right? Maybe your, your impression is, oh, Simon, you thought that you could buy the Holy Spirit? Everyone knows you can't do that. We scoff at his foolishness. Uh, but friends, if that's our only response, then we fall short of the response that this text is asking of you. What is this text asking you to do? What is God aiming at? He's aiming for you to take an honest look at the church and yourself and admit that Simon's sin is alive and well today, uncomfortably close to our hearts. You know, there's actually a sin in the church called simony. Do you know that? Who, who do you think it's named after? This guy. Simony is named after Simon. And now what, what is simony? Well, simony is um, the sin of trying to purchase power in the church. It happens when people try to grab the church's power by buying their right to an office in the church. Now, this happened especially in the Middle Ages leading up to the time of the Reformation. In fact, John Calvin said that he, he personally wasn't aware of any priest in the Roman Catholic Church that hadn't obtained their office through simony, through somehow purchasing it. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't aware of anyone uh, who had gained that status. Um, and you can see, why would, why would someone want to buy power in the church? Well, you buy an office in the church and you have an office and a title that you can use to have people look up to you and say, wow, aren't his sermons great? Wow, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, can, he can declare the forgiveness of sins. So that you can say, hey, I'm somebody. I'm a priest. I'm a bishop. I'm a pastor. I'm a deacon. I'm an elder. And this twisting of church office in which shepherds and servants are treated as elites. Uh, it's, it's something that has gripped the church at times. And it's all been because of the pursuit of power. It happens today in, in certain corners of the church. You've got to be wary of it in the ways that it can suddenly, subtly creep into our view of the offices. But Simon, he doesn't stop with church offices. It doesn't, it's not just some sin that happens in, 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 in the Middle Ages and, and, and now it's, it's done. 
Because a simony cuts right to the heart. Many of us know what it's like to serve in the church for the wrong reasons. And we wrestle with this, don't we? We know what it's like to serve in the church because we want to advance our standing in the community. We know what it's like to, at times, pretend we're more godly than we are so that people will look to us. And sometimes even our best motives are, 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 uh, fall short of that, fall short of being best motives because they're mixed with this kind of, well, maybe I'll do that because people, people will, will notice that. Maybe I'll do that because people will say, wow, he's, he's really good at that. He must be somebody. All of us know what it's like to want power and prestige for ourselves. All of us know what it's like to, to look at the gospel and, and, and to, uh, to somehow leverage glory for ourselves. To look at Jesus and, and, and all that he offers and say, wow, you know, if I had that, maybe it would get me where I need to be so that people people would applaud me or notice me or or give me the attention that I'm hoping they'll give me. It didn't start with us. It it started all the way back in the garden when Adam and Eve were told by the serpent, take the fruit, go ahead and do it. Why? Because you'll be able to know as God knows, right? You'll be able to have his glory for yourself. You'll be able to take his power, take his control, And and you'll have something of it for yourselves. Aren't we all in in our heart, in our sin, glory hogs, glory um, addicts? We want the spotlight to be on ourselves. We want just a little bit more control over other people. To be able to navigate our circumstances. You think that doesn't happen in Reformed churches? How about when we think we've mastered Reformed theology and apologetics so well that we can use it in arguments to impress people so that the, the end result is we're using the good things of God, not so that people say, wow, look at Jesus, but wow, look at Tyler. Look at what he knows. Look at what he can do. He must be somebody great. We see power, and just like Simon, we say, give it to me. Friends, Jesus teaches us the better way. You know the better way. The better way is the gospel. And it's all about what? Letting go of our own glory and delighting in the glory of the Savior. The gospel says, Jesus I've tried glory on my own terms. Jesus, I've tried, I've tried to be somebody. And, and what, what has it done? Led me to misery. I need you to forgive my sins because I am nobody apart from me. And only in you can I be who God called me to be. Jesus, the spotlight is on you. The spotlight is on you rescuing me from my sins. Apart from you, I am nothing. That's the gospel. It's only when we forget that, that we have that strange case of our old selves, the the magician within saying, give me that power. 
We've got to give up on that. Because you see, even believers, and you should know this, if you struggle with that, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. You can lay a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and still struggle with the old man rearing his head. And what you need to say is, no, Jesus, I'm going to live in conformity to the, to the humble posture of the gospel, not the power-grabbing posture of the old man. Have you done that? Have you turned to your Savior and said, Lord, I give up control. I give it up because apart from you, I am nothing. I don't need a genie in the bottle. I need Jesus. Well, look at what Simon says at the end of all this. Verse 24. He says to Peter, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. You know, it's sad to say, he has not arrived at repentance in, in that verse. And in fact, the end of the passage leaves us without a clear sense as to whether Simon ever repented. Church history would suggest that he didn't because the church fathers say a whole lot about Simon. They even associate him with uh, all sorts of heresies like Gnosticism. So we, we don't know for sure whether Simon repented. But we know that this statement is not repentance because anyone can say, hey, pastor, pray for me. I'm in a bad way. Hey, pastor, pray for me that I change. I just, I keep going back to those sins. I keep going back to glory seeking. But true repentance says what? God help me. Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to free me from the addiction to glory so that I come to you in glory and you alone and in repentance does what? It turns away from that and it turns to God. Away from sin and towards righteousness. Even to, even to our own heart and the motivations of our heart. That's the challenge of this text this morning. It's a heavy challenge, but it's also a challenge couched in the gospel. Because we do not come to Jesus who's a genie in the bottle. We come to Jesus who is our Lord and Savior and even when he cautions us and warns us of, of, our, of the old man within us, he assures us that in him and through faith in him, we have the power of the gospel to come to him and walk in newness of life. Let's go to him with that confidence right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news uh, that there is power in the name of Jesus. And that power is nothing to be purchased or grasped at or attained through our own works or even our money. But instead, Lord, you give it to us freely and say, come and buy without price. The work of Christ on the cross is finished. There's nothing left for us to do except the work that your Holy Spirit grants believing and obeying. We ask that you would work this in our hearts this morning, we pray. Amen.